Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. And finally, we're back racing. This weekend in Vihareth, the MotoGP World Championship will be back in full effect. The first Premier Class Grand Prix this season. Moto2 and Moto3 back out for the first time in four months. Steve English, Neil Morrison, David Emmett with this week's show. And uh, David, what's your thoughts on we're finally getting back to work? I literally couldn't quite believe it. I still can't quite believe it. It was really quite odd following um you know following this from home rather than actually being there uh, obviously you're both there because um neil will be doing some of that commentary that he's so good at and in two weeks time you'll be doing some of that commentary which you are also quite good at stephen english so uh, it, yeah it's just it's it's just very strange obviously we had the uh, um the ma- mass chaos of zoom debriefs which was uh, it actually worked better than I expected it to work, but then I expected it to be a complete disaster, and it was only a um, uh, a little bit of a a little bit of chaos. So um, it was uh, strange, interesting, but I am really, really glad that there are real, actual motorbikes again. And Neil, what about you? Yeah, it's great. Um, it's great to be back, and I think you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've substituted racing for nostalgia, and then like lots of uh, intrigue around rider movements and and the silly season, things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, to see some bikes out testing today, uh, Hareth, um, yeah, it's shown that uh, we're nearly back. And uh, well, I guess there was a time we didn't think we would get here. Yeah, we'll have no nostalgia. We'll have no silly season anyway. Dave, what was your favorite Hareth memory? <laughs> My favorite, me- my favorite Hareth memory was the fact that um, there was a uh, a power cut in the middle of the second of the afternoon session today, um, which meant that the tra- action on track was cut for half an hour, or well, for nearly an hour, I think. So uh, yeah, that was uh, th- that was definitely my 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 favorite memory. Yeah, we had that once at Imola World Superbikes where it cut during the race, and uh, the race is still going on around you. And uh, it was myself and Harry Lloyd were the commentators that year. And you're still waiting for, God, I wonder when the power is going to come back and you're trying to keep track of everything that you possibly can. But yeah, absolute disaster when something like that happens. Neil, looking at the the test this week, what's the big things that stand out? You obviously, it's absolutely scorching hot here in Hareth. When we were driving down, it was 40 degrees. Track temperature today was over 60 degrees at times. Yeah, yeah, ridiculously high temperatures. We went out uh, just before um, lunchtime very briefly, Steve, just outside where we're staying. And uh, I mean, it was, yeah, formidable having to just uh, walk for about 30 seconds, never mind having to sit in the bike and uh, take part in a couple of 90-minute sessions. Um, Yep, so I think um, the big standouts were basically the guys that, Ended last year really strong. Um, we're probably the strongest guys in the second half of 2019. Marquez, Quadraro, Vinales are looking really, really sharp. And also that uh, it seems Mitchell have done a pretty good job considering um, the temperatures with their new rear tyre. Um, that uh, is going to be a big factor in how racing plays out this year. Yeah, so let's get to it. Dave, when you look at this test, what's the, the big thing we can take away from it? Obviously, it's a one-day test. It's literally just get everything shaked down, get everyone to blow the cobwebs off and make sure that everyone's able to run. But what are we able to take from this day? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's been really, really valuable precisely because of the track temperatures, as Neil was saying. You know, you're talking about temperatures of over 60 degrees. It's very, very different from when we're normally here. Last time we were here was in um, November. Um, 
where you've got track temperatures of maybe 30 degrees when the, when the sun gets going. It, the track has got a lot more grip. Uh, everything is just much better. That's not the case at all in the case uh, in uh, uh, right now. Right now, the track is really, really greasy. That means having to reset everything, having to re- recalibrate the balance of the, uh, balance of the bike. The, you know, the, the bikes have changed quite a lot since uh, since november so um uh yeah it's been uh, i think that for me just the chance for everyone to actually get back into uh, get back into the groove and to like and like figure out how they're going to cope with the extreme uh, conditions that we're expecting to see on uh, during the weekend during the race yeah neil usually at Hareth, it's around about the 50 degrees centigrade mark where you tend to see that grip just start to fall away it's always been the marker for ever since i've been coming to hareth and this weekend we're going to be above that the whole time whereas typically in may it's only really during the qualifying sessions where we peak over 50 degrees but this weekend's going to be where all the data you've had for years of hareth grand prix is a little bit thrown out the window and we could have a little bit of a wild card at times yeah yeah you would think so um i think that's why a lot of the riders were saying today's testing was uh, was so vital just because um yeah they are kind of uh, random and slightly strange uh circumstances that they're they're riding in um a couple of the riders were saying that it's basically on a par with with thailand some were saying it's even uh more difficult and more physical than uh, riding somewhere like that um but uh yeah it's always hareth is always about maximizing your kind of package with a low amount of grip um it's always a very demanding track surface and um yeah whoever manages to kind of i make a great setup um with that in mind um, they're going to come to the forefront yeah i mean you saw some of the problems which the heat or the you know more unexpected problems which the heat can cause uh we saw the aprilia um uh, go pop lose a lot of oil um, uh, causing uh, Danilo Petrucci to crash, uh, and uh, uh, he took a fair old knock to the head. He's got some pain in his neck. He said he was uh, sort of seeing stars. Um, but I mean, Aprilia have uh, reliability problems. It's one of the one of the issues which they really needed to work on on the new bike. Um, uh, but that sort of like heat is going to be uh, uh, important. You you also saw one of the Ducatis caught um, uh, caught fire. Two, two of them. Ducatis tend to do that. Two of them, yeah. They, I mean, you can't do that because everything is so tightly packed inside of that uh, inside of that fairing that they have a tendency to sort of smolder a little bit. Um, so it, it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see um, one or two technical problems just due to the temperature, and this it, it could influence the race. And Neil, David mentioned earlier on that we saw all the guys that were fast at the end of last season fast in this test. Guys like Vinales, Quattararo, obviously Mark Marquez. When you look at someone like Vinales in this shortened season, we've got, what, potentially 13 rounds from MotoGP. It's going to be a very strange year for him because in the past, we've tended to see him really strong in the tests and then very strong at the end of seasons, but never really able to get it going really quickly in a season. This year, he's not going to have any chance of trying to get himself up to speed. You need to be able to hit the ground running. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and you can't really afford to have any sort of DNFs or you know, um, low scoring results. It's going to have to be just bang, 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 consistent. Um, you know, Vinales' preseason, I think, is his 
has been as as good as it could have been. Um, we were saying after the Qatar test back in in March that he was in he was in great shape. Every test he had been to, I think he had finished inside the top three. Um, and again today, he's looking he's looking really strong. Um, the Yamaha package seems to be in a very good place. It's continued on from where it was last year. And um, speaking to one or two of the Yamaha guys, it does seem that Michelin's rear tire uh, that has a new um, construction for this year, that does certainly seem to help um, the Yamaha's M1. Um, acceleration has maybe been one of its bad points in previous years. And, uh, well, the fact that uh, that rear tire offers up a bit more grip whenever they're on the side of the tire, um, I think that's playing into the Yamaha's hands. Yeah, I mean, completely agree. I really think that this is going to be a big factor in the first, uh, especially in these in the first part of the season. Um, uh, the way that the new Michelin works is it gives it a little bit more edge grip. Um, uh, that means it, a little bit more edge grip, a little bit more duration on the edge as well. So uh, previously, what was happening happening was that um, if you try to accelerate while the bike was on the on the side of the tire, then you would burn up the tire too much, which is exactly what uh, Valentino Rossi, especially, was complaining uh, complaining about. This new tyre seems to solve a lot of that. Um, so that gives the Yamaha an advantage, the Yamaha and the Suzuki as well, because you know they're both strong uh, uh, strong bikes on the edge of the tyre. They're, they're both uh, capable of, of uh, and capable of using strong acceleration while the bike is still leaned over. Whereas the uh, Ducati and the uh, and the Honda really need to be picked up to make use of the ferocious horsepower which they have. Um, one comment that was interesting for me was that um, I think uh, Cal Crutchlow was talking about uh, how the new rear Michelin changed the balance of the bike. Uh, he says that you know the extra grip was pushing the front. Um, the Honda's front has been a little bit of a. It's been a little touchy, I suppose, is the word that you the the you want to use. They had huge problems with their aero package uh, um, at the at, at the end of the Qatar test. We saw that when they were seemed to be in complete panic. In the end, they threw off their twenty twenty. They threw their twenty twenty aero package away because it was pushing the front too much. Uh, put the, the twenty nineteen package on, and it seemed to work very well. Um, so. They've gone back to this uh, 2019 package, but still, it's the, the 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 front is a little bit sensitive. So I think until and Mark Marcus today was saying um, we need to work on the chassis, we need to work on the on the swing arm now um, uh, to help. Uh, I was speaking earlier to Peter Bomb, and Peter Bomb was explaining that when a rider says, you know, I'm having problems with the swing swing arm, it, it's usually about. Um, the, the 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 balance of the bike when it's leaned over it's not it's not tracking the bumps very well um uh, you need uh, uh, you need a, a different swing arm stiffness to be able to use the grip which is av available rather than just bounce over the bumps which you get through which you get through you know any asphalt surface really so i think until honda fix that problem then the yamahas and the suzukis could have quite a big advantage and it's going to be really important as far as that's concerned for maverick vinales maybe even fabio quartararo uh, to try and uh, take advantage of that exploit that score as many points as they get as they can um, as early as possible in the in the championship and perhaps put Mark Marquez under a little bit of pressure. Neil, David just mentioned the Suzuki's there and obviously Alex Rins, Juan Mir, fourth and fifth in this test. But whenever we look a little bit further on in the timesheets, you've also got 
Pekka Bagnaya was sixth fastest, Johan Zarko was seventh fastest, and Alasia Sparago was uh, Alasia Sparago was eighth fastest. Of those guys, which was the biggest surprise for you? Um, I would say the biggest surprise was probably uh, Ducati in sixth place, and just probably the the rider that was um, the man in sixth place because um, you know it was a pretty tough day for the factory of Ducati's Davizioso uh, coming back after um, fracturing his left collarbone two and a half weeks ago. Um, was making some tentative steps this morning. Told us that. Um, he was basically feeling fine, other than a bit of a uh, bit of pain around, um, basically where they they cut him open for the uh, the operation, uh, just around his left uh, collarbone. He said there was a bit of an aggravation there with his leathers, but other than that, it was okay. But time sheets didn't necessarily reflect that, and he said that he's still struggling with the rear tire. Um, and Petrucci obviously had a pretty tough day in that um, he was knocked about a bit after crashing on some oil left by uh, Alicia Spargo's bike. So. It was a tough day for the factory Ducatis, and uh, yeah, I was quite surprised to see uh, Peko and uh, both and Zarco up there in t- inside the top six. Those were not the Ducatis that I was expecting to see. Yeah, Zarco, of course, on the Avincia Ducati this year. And Dave, when you look at Zarco, what do you see for him going forward for this season? Obviously, we've seen him have some great results in the past, but now he's with a team that he had previously said was the worst team on the grid, and now he has to try and figure a way to make it work. But for Zarco, this test must be something that's going to give him a big lift. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's been he's been quite quick in previous tests as well. He seems to get on reasonably well uh, with the Ducati. Certainly, you know, it's night and day with the KTM. He absolutely, there was just no way he understood uh, how to do anything with the KTM. The, the, the Ducati he's getting on, on with very well. Obviously, yes, he, he has an advantage to an extent because... Um, Ducati already have a whole year's worth of data for the GP19. Uh, they don't have to try and reinvent anything. The, the 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 bike they know how the bike works and understand how to get the, uh, the get the most out of it. Zarco um, is clearly you know comfortable enough on it to try and push. Um, he's got nothing to lose. This is the, the this is the other thing. You know he literally has nothing to lose. This is his last chance. He has to make a success of it. So I think he's he's going to push he's motivated to push and also uh you know through the season you see the factory bikes make uh, uh make improvements as they start to get new parts through um zarko has to make an impression at the start of the season and neil we heard david said that zarko's got nothing to lose what about suzuki do they have anything to lose right now because they're pretty much going to be playing with house money it looks like they've got a very good bike but they don't have the pressure of having Mark Marquez in your bike where you're expected to win races and championships, or Quattararo, the rider that everyone expects to make another step forward this year, or Vinales with Yamaha. Suzuki's really in a great position right now. They seem to be able to use the softer tyre as well, and they really seem like they're very well placed for either this weekend or for the full season. Yeah, yeah. Um, you look at everywhere that we've gone uh, during pre-season, um, all sorts of uh, conditions and temperatures, and, and Suzuki has two riders that uh, can definitely be capable of finishing inside the top six, possibly uh, every weekend, I would say. I think Alex Rins showed last year that he's um, he's probably, you know, now is the time that he should be stepping up to to fight for the championship uh, on a kind of sustained level across the season. And Juan Mir, I think, is going to be uh, one of the big surprises of the year. Maybe you couldn't even call him a surprise because um, I think a lot of people are expecting big things from him. Um but yeah, the, the situation's looking rosy for them because 
there's no rush essentially they've got two of the fastest and most exciting young riders on the grid signed up not just for the rest of this year but for 2021 and 2022 and i think having that sort of long-term stability means that these guys aren't in a situation where they think we have to make this work um i think you saw that sometimes with alex wins last year whenever he was talking about crashing out of races or having a bad weekend it didn't really seem to bother him because i think he knows that this is uh just at the beginning and um you know you have to say suzuki with the current rider lineup are only going to get stronger um and well they were third at harath in 2018 with ian only they were second here last year with rins might be a long shot to call them for winning the race this weekend but i think uh, they'll definitely be in with a shot at the podium both riders yeah, I mean, I definitely wouldn't bet against them uh, uh, winning. It, it, it's very, very possible. It's very, very possible that a Suzuki could win. Uh, the other thing about this is that the new Michelin it cures the Suzuki's weakness. The Suzuki was fantastic at being very gentle with his tires, uh, using his tires, making sure that um, uh, the riders had grip left at the end of the race. The disadvantage was they could never actually extract the maximum out of a tire for a single fast lap. And so you would often see, uh, especially Rins, because it was also Rins's his weakness, but you'd see Rins qualifying really quite appallingly and then making up, you know, 9, 10, 11 places uh, from the grid uh, to, to finish close to the podium. Um the new rear gives that much more grip. It allows them to extract a little bit more performance sort of straight off the bat and that I think will give them better qualifying positions and that's going to put them closer to the front um, and especially these back-to-back -back races you'll see the first race will be like a standard race if you like people teams coming in with the data from last year and then figuring out how to improve the bike but you know you've got a, a race a week later on exactly the same track um, uh, with fresh data under almost identical conditions or very, very similar conditions. Uh, and those second races are going to be so close, especially in qualifying, um, that, you know, it's not going to be sort of tenths which separate uh, but maybe the front row from the fourth row. It's going to be hundredths. So, yeah, it's going to be really, it's going to be really, really important for the Suzuki to be able to exploit this new tyre and to uh, uh, improve their qualifying position. Yeah, Neil, just before we finish talking just about what we've seen today, do you think is this test going to be an indicator of anything we can sort of expect over the season? Do you think are these guys just going to be the guys that you'd expect all the, up at the front all the way through the year? Or is there anything where, you know, with Ducati, where you think that this is maybe just a one-off? Or do you think is this a sign of an underlying problem they could have? Um, no, I, I, I think there's parts to both sides to be honest i think what we've seen today in terms of uh, the variety of the machinery being up towards the sharp end we've had six bikes inside the top nine positions uh, all six factories there i think that's a sign of things to come because um i was a little bit skeptical of uh, aprilia's improvements uh, before now but uh, alicia spargo was really quick all through today in both the morning and in the, the heat of the afternoon. Um, Paul Spargaro was showing that uh, KTM certainly seemed to be an established top 10 bike now. Um, so that Friday, I think, is something that we're going to see a lot more of. Um, however, I don't necessarily see Ducati struggling to the extent which they did today. 
I think um, Jack Miller was saying that there's still a lot more to come with this bike. Um, he has set himself a target of improving maybe on his podium Hoffmeister. He scored five podiums in 2019. So in 13 races, he's expecting to score six or more. That would be a podium at every other race weekend. Those, those are pretty lofty ambitions. I still think it's a, a pretty good bike. Davizioso was saying today that in Qatar, that was... That was a certain podium he felt, or maybe even better, had the race ran there in uh, March. We know that this is a different, a difficult circuit for Ducati, and we know that Davizioso is recovering from injury. So I don't think um, we're going to see too much of uh, Ducati really struggling through the rest of the year. Um, but uh, you know, yeah, Vinales, Quartararo, Mar Marquez, the Suzuki's all sh showing pretty well. I think that's something we're going to see more often in 2020. Yeah, I, I think this is a strange track for Ducati. Ducati is the one uh, manufacturer who have, uh, for whom this is almost like a bogey track. They haven't won here since 2006. Uh, they've never gone here particularly well. Casey Stoner, even Casey Stoner never got on particularly well here at Jerez on the, uh, uh, on the Ducati. Um, uh, Dovicioso, I believe, has never even been on the podium here. Um, so yeah, there, there's sort of lots of oddities about Ducati and Jerez. So I think, I mean, they're going to be comp compensated because we get to go to the Red Bull ring twice uh, where they've just cleaned up. So um, there will be some balance there. But yeah, I, I, I don't think there's going to be a, any real reflection. It's also going to be interesting to see how the, they manage to adapt their bike for the, the, the second race weekend at Jerez for, uh, from the lessons that they learned from the first weekend. Yeah, even when Casey left Ducati, it was still Ducati that was costing them any chance of a good result here. But they... Dave, we've got uh, a new tyre from Michelin for this weekend. And uh, what's the crack with it? Uh, the, 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 the crack with the new tyre is that it is a, a slightly stiffer construction which gives more support on the edge of the tyre and it wears more slowly. Uh, or it, it 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 doesn't wear out as much. It means you do, it's, it's less of a point-and-shoot tyre and it's more of a corner speed tyre. And Neil, obviously, we've seen all the riders try and use this today. Who liked it? Who didn't like it? Who says they got a bit more work to do with it? Uh, well, it seems that uh, Yamaha Suzuki riders getting on with it really well. Um, it seems that it gives them just that little bit of extra grip when they're on the side of the tire. Um, and certain Ducati riders, namely Davizioso, is still trying to find a way to maximize uh, his feeling with it. Cal Crutzel was another one who said, as David mentioned before, that uh, it has too much, it has so much grip that it's just pushing the front of that bike. Um, however, you don't really get the impression that Marquez is struggling so much with that. Um, and also Jack Miller says that he really likes it as well. So it's kind of, um, it seems to be down to, to rider preference. Generally, some of the Honda guys, or maybe one or two of the Honda guys, one or two of the uh, Ducati guys are struggling with it. Um, but uh, you can't say it's just right across the board for a single manufacturer that they don't like it. David, just in terms of the impact that this tyre can make, obviously it's all going to come down to the conditions we have this weekend, but there's going to be some riders that think that they can gamble with the softer tyre and other riders that are going to go with this new harder tyre. Do you think for the first race, is there potential for people to go completely different paths with their tyre selections for the race and then it would regress back to a mean for the second race? Or do you think will everyone start conservatively and then be a bit more aggressive when they've got a bit more data for race two? 
No, I think they're going to start a bit more conservatively also just because of the because of the temperatures. Um, I mean, you know, if we do get track temperatures of, you know, high 50s, low 60s, uh, you're not going to be able to go for the, I mean, you know, you can forget about using the soft. You might be able to use the medium. And uh, um, uh, a maybe the Suzuki, which, again, is still quite soft on tires, quite gentle with tires, maybe they could use the medium tire. Um, but all three tires are the same construction, this new construction. Uh, what what the new construction allows is it allows you to use a slightly softer rubber, um, uh, so it's giving you sort of like more grip because you've got more mechanical support from the uh, uh, from the tire. So um, yeah, it's uh, I, I expect that here because of the just because of the climate, just because of those strange weather conditions, the searing heat, that's going to make sort of you know nobody's going to be gambling on uh, on tire choices. Where it is going to be interesting is a place like Brno, where, uh, you know, if the clouds come over, it can be really cool. If the clouds don't come over, it can be absolutely scorching. So, yeah, that, I think at Brno we'll see something very different and um, uh, maybe Misano as well. And uh, David, we're going to keep this show nice and short this week just because we've left it a little bit late to record just that we're able to talk about the test. But there's obviously a bit more news in the MotoGP paddock than just that bikes are back on track. With the news that Paul Espargaro is signed for Repsol Honda, that Cal Crutchlow is leaving HRC and that uh, Alex Marquez is going to end up at LCR Honda. But uh, it's obviously been, uh, you know, we've all been waiting for the confirmation of things. But uh, now that that dust has settled, what do you think about say, the news that Crutchlow is going to leave HRC? Uh, yeah, to me that was the biggest surprise. Um, I, I mean, Crutchlow himself said, yeah, he'd known for months that this was uh, going to happen. I would have expected them to let Nakagami go um, because you know Nakagami. If you have to choose between the two, then uh, you know Crutchlow is clearly the better rider. He's got much better results. He's got much more experience. He's much more valuable as a test rider. Um, uh, but the way that the riders are contracted makes it more complicated to get rid of Nakagami than to get rid of um, uh, Cal Crutchlow. Uh, because this way, what uh, HRC are doing are taking him, taking Alex Marquez off the factory Repsol Honda and putting him onto the factory Honda in the LCR Honda uh, garage. Uh, whereas they would have had to, if they'd have put him on Nakagami's bike, they would have had to guarantee a fourth factory Honda in the LCR um, uh, in the LCR garage next year, uh, which I don't think they were they wanted to do. So um, yeah, that to me the the fact that we're losing Crutchlow that was the big surprise. And Neil, whereabouts do you see Cal ending up? Because he's obviously been linked with the Aprilia ride in MotoGP. It's pretty much the only seat left in MotoGP firm. But he's been linked with the Honda World Superbike ride. I know that uh, other teams and World Superbikes have been open to discussions with them. BMW have been targeting a few different riders before they signed Vandermark. They talked to Jonathan Ray and apparently Crutchlow was on their shopping list as well. So he's he's definitely in demand, but it's just a case of in the Grand Prix paddock his options are going to be very slim. Yeah, it would be indeed. I mean, realistically, it's it's Aprilia, possibly Ducati as well um, because uh, Andrea De Vizioso hasn't signed and more than likely that... Uh, you won't sign anything before the end of this month, for sure. Um, Dorna need to have a British rider in Premier Class of Racing um, because 
basically they're dependent on uh, a lot of uh, income from TV companies and one of those principal TV companies which is paying a hell of a lot of money uh, to show MotoGP paying Dorna for those MotoGP rights is uh, BT Sport and BT Sport's coverage is dependent on having British riders across all three classes and uh, giving them giving them a reason to, to build up before each class, um, so I think um, I think a pretty looks um, looks Cal's most likely bet at the moment. Um, I wouldn't say it's a pretty or nothing, but uh, it would certainly seem to be the most likely thing there because um, well, he's a fast guy, he's a MotoGP race winner, um, and he has a host of experience with different motorcycles. I think he could be a bit of an asset for Prilia. And Dave, what about Alex Marquez? Obviously. We know that he's a Moto3 and a Moto2 world champion. We know that uh, the goal in the past was where he wouldn't be on the Repsol on the bike. Do you think in terms of moving Alex to the LCR team that it's a show of faith for him and for Mark? Or do you think is it a little bit of a show of power towards Mark? Uh, No, I mean, it's just trying to fix a colossal mess up which they made of the whole thing in the first place um uh, obviously it all started with jorge lorenzo announcing that he was going to retire uh, at the valencia race um that sort of uh catalyzed or well, if you like it pushed hrc into making decisions they weren't necessarily comfortable making um i mean th- there is absolutely no doubt that alex marquez deserves to be in uh, MotoGP, he is, uh, you know, he's a Moto2 world champion. He's a Moto3 world champion. Um, he's proved himself. He was a regular winner in Moto2. Um, uh, the original plan was that he would be uh, this year or next year, probably next year. Um, he would have been looking at a satellite ride, maybe in Pramac Ducati, uh, maybe in LCR Honda. That would have made complete sense. Um, uh, unfortunately, Mark came around to the idea that it would be nice to have his brother in the Repsol Honda team. Uh, there was a vacancy in Repsol Honda. Um, it was a quick and easy fix to put Alex in there. Uh, but I think in the long term, um, it's it's going to be a huge mistake. I mean, I have a bet with you with, with you guys um, that I'm, I'm going to buy you dinner if uh, if uh, Mark Marquez serves out his four years at uh, uh, at Repsol Honda. I don't think he's going to. I think this is going to precipitate a departure. I think he's going to leave. He's going to end up feeling that he wasn't treated with a necessary respect, that they didn't respect his brother, and they didn't give him a chance. Uh, even if this was all agreed beforehand, it's always different when you actually, you know, it's like give, you give a kid an ice cream, uh, uh, tell him to hold it and then take it away again. The kid is going to start thinking, that was my ice cream. Why the fuck would you do that? If why would you do that to someone? <laughs> exactly. This is my point. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this is, this is, the, 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 I honestly think this is a political, mis- it's a political and psychological mistake and they, and it's going to end up costing them Mark Marcus. It's going to be good for MotoGP because we'll get to see Mark Marcus on a different bike, but, um, it's going to win there as well. So, uh, we'll see. Yeah, Dave already potentially putting silly season for the future into motion there. Silly Neil. season 20. Yeah. Silly season 2023, boys. <laughs> Two more years of uh, silly season podcast, lads. Get ready. Exactly. <laughs> and then we can go back to the nostalgia of do you remember that lockdown here um, Neil for you obviously Alex going to the LCR team what do you, what's your take on it I mean I wouldn't quite say it's um, it's 
as negative as as David makes out. I think um, I think yeah, it's it's certainly quite strange. Um, how often do you see a rider basically make way in a team when he hasn't even raced for them? Um, however, there were fairly exceptional circumstances which brought Alex into MotoGP in the first place. Um, he would have been defending his Moto2 title this season had it not been for Jorge Lorenzo's surprise retirement at the end of last year. Um, and okay, Alex has had a year of experience or will have a year of experience at the end of 2020 uh, in the uh, the biggest team, the most successful team ever in MotoGP, and he will have a full factory 2021 Honda RC213V next year in a satellite team which has had pretty decent success in um, in previous years. He'll also be able to do it out of the uh, direct spotlight of uh, the Repsol Honda team where he's Mark Marquez's teammate and everything he does is going to be compared to his older brother. Um, I think I think it's it's not the worst move for Alex, if I'm being honest. I think um, he could actually come out of this uh, a stronger rider um, as opposed to one who may, after three years of being in Repsol Honda team, come away with uh, his confidence rather fragile uh, maybe a bit broken. I mean, look how Danny Pedrosa retired. Look how Jorge Lorenzo retired from racing. Both of both of them had shocking final years, really. Um, and well, I think it's going to allow him to express himself with a little less pressure um, than he is feeling right now. And it could actually be the making of him as a MotoGP rider. Okay, so one rider that goes to a satellite team that could potentially be the making of him. Let's talk potentially about another rider that's going to go to a satellite team. David, Valentino Rossi, he's obviously, it's looking very likely that we'll have news at some time soon that uh, he'll sign for the Petronas Yamaha squad. But uh, this has been a story that's just ran and ran and ran, Dave. And we've been waiting for confirmation of this. You know, There's been a few times when press conferences were called and cancelled in a hurry. And uh, what's what's the backstory of that? What's causing that delay, do you think? I mean, the, the well, uh, today Valentino Rossi said, you know, the deal is 99% done. Um, I think it is 99% done. It's just that I think they've still got about 50% left uh, because the big problem is is who he brings. It's, uh, you know, he's agreed to ride there, support, all the rest of it. That's all, that's all sorted. But he wants to bring a whole heap of people with him into the team. And the Patronus Yamaha team... Um, they built this MotoGP team very, very carefully. They recruited the group of engineers and mechanics to work there very carefully because they were they they wanted to make this a real team. And you notice it. I mean, uh, you know, when, when last year when you walked past the Petronas Yamaha uh, hospitality, um, it, there was a fantastic atmosphere. We went in there a couple of times. It was great. And in fact, the funny thing is you would go into the Petronas Yamaha team and you'd see lots and lots of people from the factory team in there because the atmosphere was so much better than in the, uh, uh, the, the than in the factory uh, hospitality. So, yeah, it, it, it's a really, really close atmosphere. Rossi wants to bring a lot of people with him. I mean, ideally he'd like to bring all of his crew, but he's not going to be able to bring all of his crew. Um, he might be able to bring his crew chief and maybe Matteo Flamini is uh, his electronics engineer, um, who, who would be absolutely key personnel for him. But he's also going to want to bring, um, you know, is uh, uh, at least 
one assistant and maybe a physio, maybe a photographer, and maybe a PR person, and um, um, maybe someone to do his logistics or his travel or something else. Um, Rossi is has i mean rossi has an entourage he's always had an entourage he's a group person he grew up in a village with a group of friends and that's how he ended up sort of racing when he came to racing he had his group of friends and in, in a way it's been really good for him because he's kept him very very sort of um sort of centered as a person because he has a group of friends who's still you know little valentino that they grew up with but um he became so powerful that when he wanted to move he could bring whoever he wanted with him that's no longer the case. Now, he's, I mean, it isn't that Patronus Yamaha asked if he would come to uh, to Patronus Yamaha. It was that uh, Yamaha had no room for him in the factory team and promised, to, uh, promised him a factory-supported bike. So um, there's a bit of a battle of wills as to who goes where, who gets to do what. Um, who, who Valentino gets to bring with him, uh, and I think I think this is still going to take a quite a long time to actually shake out uh, before they can agree terms. It's it, it's not as easy as it. It's one of those things that looks really really easy from the outside. Oh, we just agree, sort of. You know, these are all the people. These are the people you can bring X number of people. Um, uh, but then as soon as you draw up the list of people, then you get to all the exceptions and that's when it all goes horribly wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he said today, um, after testing finished that, um, the lockdown gave him a chance to reflect on a lot of things in his life. Um, even though things aren't particularly going, uh, well for him on the racetrack at the moment, it seems that it has offered him a little glimpse of what life is like whenever you're not uh, chasing motorbikes around the world. Um, and he's decided that he doesn't want any of that uh, in the near future. Um, so it seems that the utter willingness for him to continue is there, which is essentially the most important part of him uh, signing on for next year. But as David says, they just have to iron out these, uh, these, these differences um, when, it comes to, when it comes to personnel. Um, but... But yeah, it's still going to be it's still going to be a good a good setup, for Valentino. You just have to wonder how competitive he's going to be this time, 2021, because it was a tough day again for him testing. Uh, I'm just looking down my timesheets at the moment, and I can see that he ended the day in. It wasn't the best day, was it? As I shuffled on, yeah, 16th of, uh, in the afternoon session for Valentino. Um, he was saying that the feeling with the bike isn't very good. This comes after the last time he was on a MotoGP bike, which was in the final day in Qatar, where he was saying that the, uh, the kind of rear tire degradation that plagued him through a lot of last year uh, was still very much apparent. We're not really hearing Vinales or Corderaro saying such things. Um so yes, he seems he seems intent on continuing, which is, I guess, which is great for the profile of the sport, great for fans um, that love him, that come to race because of him. But um, yeah, I'm surprised he's this all in. Whenever the evidence on the track recently has been uh, that, well, there's no there's no real sea change from what we saw last year, and that was. That was a guy that's not really able to understand why he's not able to to hit the heights, which he uh, he used to hit pretty much every weekend. 
Yeah, uh, it looks like the Yamaha has changed slightly, just enough away from Rossi for him to be able to do it. Because you saw again, uh, Rossi had a really good time this morning. He ended up, um, I think, uh, fifth fastest overall. But that was because he, he uh, set a really fast time in the morning. Uh, and in the afternoon, when the track is a lot hotter, a lot greasier, uh, a lot slippier, um, where tyre wear is worse, uh, uh, the Rossi was saying he was complaining about the balance of the bike. The balance of the bike didn't feel right. Um, uh, but uh, in the afternoon, uh, Vinales set his fastest time, was most comfortable. Fa- uh, Fabio Quattararo was uh, was fa- was fastest in the afternoon and was comfortable. So it seems like you know Vinales and Quattararo, Yamaha made the right decision. Quattararo, Vinales, are, they are the future um, uh, for Yamaha. That that is now very plain um and things seems to be just inching away from Rossi at the moment but we've seen Rossi adapt he might take a little bit longer than he used to but we've seen him adapt to a lot of things over the year there's no one has been as proven so adaptable that's why he's still racing at 41 years of age so uh well we'll see but I as Neil says I don't think I mean you know he's not going to win I don't believe he's going to win another title uh I, I think he might still win a race or two but he's not going to um it's going to be up to him whether he feels that uh, this is something he wants to do. Okay, well, uh, as I said, we're trying to keep this show a little bit short so that we're able to get it turned around pretty quickly. And uh, Neil, thanks for joining us on today's show. David, thanks for joining us on today's show. And uh, obviously, by the time everyone listens to this, it'll be less than 24 hours from when free practice one starts in Hareth. And finally, Neil, we're able to stop looking back and start looking forward. And uh, it's going to be exciting when racing gets back. So for everyone listening, just give us your feedback on the show and what you're expecting for this weekend in Hareth. You can tweet us at Paddock Pass Pod or at Moto Matters for David or at Neil Morrison 87 for Neil or at Steve English GP for myself. And uh, we're always interested in knowing what everyone thinks about uh, the goings-on in the MotoGP paddock. And uh, you can also follow us on Patreon and support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash paddockpasspodcast. And we're going to have a special Q&A show for all of our Patreon supporters over the coming weeks. So make sure if you do support us on Patreon that you're able to get your questions in. And uh, hopefully on the next show... We'll be straight back and straight into an action-packed race weekend at Harath. So until then, for myself, Steve English, David Amos and Neil Morrison, we're all looking forward to this weekend's action.